Father God, almighty and eternal, from whose love in Christ we cannot be separated, either by death or life. On this day, we pause and give you thanks for all those we remember who have served or are serving our country. Dads and moms, brothers and sisters, friends, we remember them today. We owe a debt of gratitude for those who have given their lives in fighting for and protecting our freedoms. We honor today their courage and cherish their memories. And may we put our faith in your future, for you are the source of life and hope now and forevermore. Amen. You may be seated. Scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 5, and we will read the entire chapter. So sit back, relax, and take it all in so that you can appreciate fully what the Lord has given Pastor Norb to share with us this morning. Mark chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasens, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out, cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people, what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, 
how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Bill. I think you could do like an audio recording of the Bible you know, it wasn't quite Morgan Freeman-like voice, but uh, that was good. And just kind of focus in and just listen to the word being read. It's a powerful thing. I hope you've been enjoying our walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you know, even the passage that Bill read for us this morning, isn't it just fantastic? I mean, our hope and prayer is that this series would be both instructive and inspiring And so as we walk through each of these chapters, we are being introduced and encountering Jesus. We're introduced, being uh, encountering his preaching and his teaching, his life and his ministry, the miracles that he did. 
And as we do that, we believe that we'll come to know him better, we'll walk with him more intimately, and we'll share him more passionately. Because we want others to know Jesus, whom we ourselves have come to know. In studying the Gospel of Mark, we are asking three basic but important questions, and it's good to always remind ourselves, what is the Gospel of Mark about? And I say it's this, it's about who is Jesus, first and foremost, why did he come, and then what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond? And so, as we settle in our hearts and our minds who Jesus is and why he came, we're forced to respond to him. You see, we we come to Jesus by faith, and then we live out our lives in holiness and obedience. When we started this series, I said that we would be immersed in this study until Easter of uh, 2021. Um, Actually, I'm just kidding. Relax. It'll be next year. But to me, it feels like we're already moving quickly. And often, we're covering large portions of the gospel. Two weeks ago, I covered most of chapter 3. Last week, Pastor Ken focused on the parable of the sower in chapter 4. And today, we're going to look at chapter 5. And there's a part of me that wishes that we could just slow right down and look in detail at each of these three encounters that Jesus has in this chapter. And there are, and I probably am biting off too much again, but I just couldn't help myself. Because as I read through this chapter and trying to say, Jesus, where do you want me to focus? It just kept coming very clear to me that there are common themes through each of these encounters. And so we'll briefly look at each one, and then I want to make just four comments or observations about what we have discovered. So encounter number one that we see is that Jesus has an encounter with a demon-possessed man. This is the first 20 verses, and after teaching uh, the crowds, Jesus and his disciples, they get into the boat and they go to the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee. And it was, it was during this nighttime voyage when they had left Capernaum that it was on this journey that the storm suddenly hit them. This is in chapter 4. Jesus calms that storm, and then they continue to roll on to the other side. And verse 1 informs us it was to the region of the Gerasenes. This, this, you know, to us, we look at that and we just see it as, as the name of a location. But it's important just to know that it was a Gentile area or a non-Jew area. And according to Jewish thinking, it was kind of a rather unsavory place. Uh, there was no reason they would have thought that Jesus would have any interest in going there, but he goes there. And as soon as they arrive, Jesus gets out of the boat. And as he does that, immediately a demon-possessed man comes running towards him. And Mark is just super descriptive about the state of this man. Did you catch that? We discover a whole bunch of things. We, we discover that he lived in the tombs. Uh, think maybe graveyard. But, but even that doesn't maybe fully do it justice because it's more than that. The, these tombs would have been carved out of rock. And they, they would have been um, filled with dead man's bones. Probably rat infested. Think, you know, Indiana Jones and kind of your worst nightmare. That's, that's the kind of place that he lived. He, not only did he live in the tombs, he had superhuman strength. At, at one point, because he was so out of control, they, they tried to tie him up. They tried to bind him with chains. And the text says that he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. I had this image of the Incredible Hulk when I read that. Right? No one, it says, was strong enough to subdue him. So he's in the tombs. He's got the superhuman strength. And all day and all night, he would just cry out, wailing, howling. 
And then if that description isn't bad enough, we read that he would take jagged stones and he would cut himself with it. I mean, he's totally out of his mind. And so we have this very descriptive, kind of almost eerie and gross description, right? Because you have this naked, bleeding, scarred, violent, wild man who runs around the tombs howling day and night. Why was he acting like that? Because he was possessed by an impure, evil spirit. And likely more than one evil spirit. So this man is repulsive. He's unloved. He's unwelcomed. And Mark tells us that this demon-possessed man comes running to Jesus and shouts as loud as he can, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to him, Cut out, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. You see, Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to leave the man, but this evil spirit is desperate and he tries to delay and distract. What do you want with me? He asked Jesus. And Jesus then, being Jesus, kind of plays along and asks him some questions. What is your name? The evil spirit answers, My name is Legion, for we are many. A a Roman legion of soldiers was 6,000 strong. And so Jesus and this evil spirit, they go back and forth a little bit, and the evil spirit recognizes the futility of going up against Jesus. So the demons, it says, beg Jesus. They say this, send us among those pigs over there. Allow us to go into them. Jesus then gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Would you have loved to have been there? I mean, it, it is a little freaky. It's a little scary. But that is dramatic. There's a herd of 2,000 pigs. This is a major operation. This is a big business. And it was a major loss for the owners as the spirits leave this demon-possessed man and they enter into the pigs and the pigs, wanting to get rid of the evil spirits, go rushing down the hill and drown themselves into the lake. Not surprisingly, (laughs) the pig farmers aren't very happy. They run off and they tell everyone and people come to see what happened for themselves. And what do they see? The man that everyone knew and was afraid of, everyone avoided, all the children fled in his sight. Mark says he's sitting there dressed, and in his right mind. In this encounter, Jesus demonstrates his power over the spiritual realm. The demons are cast out, and this man is totally transformed. From being a wild, crazy man, cutting himself with stones, now he's rational, controlled, he's at peace, and he's in communion with Jesus. people, you'd think they would rejoice over the transformation of this man. 
But instead, they begged Jesus to leave the area. I mean, they, they knew it was a demonstration of his power, but they were afraid now of this power. And the delivered man, he had a different response. He wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus then told him to go and tell others, he says, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So that's encounter number one, Jesus and the demon-possessed man. Encounter number two, Jesus has an encounter with a sick woman. So now Jesus and disciples, they set out by boat and they return back over the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum again. And again, a large crowd gathers around him. And in the crowd, there's a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had a hemorrhage of some kind that would just not stop. And again, Mark is very descriptive about the woman's condition. He says this. He says, She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Can you even just imagine a little bit this woman's suffering? After 12 years of this, 12 years of continual bleeding, she would have been anemic, exhausted, discouraged, hopeless. She had pursued extensive medical care. She spent all of her life savings. They didn't have universal health care. So she's broke. And not only that, after spending everything she had, she's worse than she was, than she's ever been. And she's so, so alone. Because of her bleeding, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean in Jewish culture. She would have been ostracized barred from worshiping in the synagogue and temple. If she had been married, she likely was now divorced. She was just an outcast, way on the fringes of society. But this woman, in her last-ditch, desperate attempt, she hears about Jesus and thinks that she just needs to touch him in order to be healed. And so she manages to, to squeeze through the crowd without drawing attention to herself. And Mark writes, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, if I just grab the corner of his robe, I will be healed. And instantly, she does feel this healing course through her body. Without even speaking a word, Jesus' power heals her. And in this encounter, Jesus demonstrates his power over sickness. The outcast woman is healed, says that she's freed from her suffering. Can you imagine? Now Jesus, he knows that someone had touched him. Because even with the jostling crowd around him, he realized, this text says, that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? It's remarkable, isn't it? Even even the disciples were a little perplexed. I mean, with all these people around you and jostling and elbowing, and, and, and then you still ask, who touched me? But Jesus really wanted to know. So he kept looking around at the crowd. And and can you imagine the woman? She's filled simultaneously with this unspeakable joy. She knows she's been healed. 
and probably filled with fear at the same time. She knows she's been healed, but but now Jesus is calling out to her. And what if the experiences of the past, what what about the rejection that she's felt for 12 years? What if she feels it again? But her eyes tear up. She can't help but identify herself, and she goes on to tell Jesus all about her journey. And Jesus, as you have to kind of hear this, he very tenderly and lovingly says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This, in fact, is the only recorded instance of Jesus addressing a woman as daughter. There was tenderness and affection as he told her what she already knew. But for the first time in her last 12 years, she felt acceptance, belonging. Encounter number three. Jesus has an encounter with a dead girl. Now, if you're following along, this encounter actually started before the encounter that Jesus had with this sick, bleeding woman. And so if you're in your Bible, you can still go back to verse 22. And there we're introduced to a man by the name of Jairus. Mark tells us that Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. This meant that he was kind of like president of the elders. He would have been responsible for the, for the services. He likely was a man of wealth and prestige. Very unlike the sick woman. But he was also in distress. You see, he had a very sick little 12-year-old girl at home. She was so sick that, in fact, she was dying. I mean, any parent would know the deep sorrow that would overcome us with a sick, dying child. And here, Jairus, as leader of the synagogue, he probably would not have been friendly towards Jesus. Because remember, the religious leaders were suspicious of Jesus. He probably would have been warned to stay away from Jesus. And in ordinary circumstances, he would have. But his daughter was sick and dying. And he had heard about Jesus' miracles, and he's desperate. And Jesus is his only chance. You see, it was his need that brought him to Jesus. He believed all that Jesus needed to do was come and put his hands on his daughter, and she would be healed, and she would live. And even though Jesus knew the religious leaders were hostile towards him, that didn't keep him from agreeing to go to the man's house. Now, as we read the text, we discover that a large crowd also went along. And this is then when the the sick woman interrupted this processional because they were going over to Jairus' home. I'm sure Jairus was actually a little bit annoyed. He was probably anxious to get going, saw this as just an intrusion. But yet, as he watched the encounter between Jesus and the bleeding woman, it filled him with hope. Because if Jesus could heal her, he can then heal my daughter. But just like that, any hope that he might have had was wiped away. And Mark says that, Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, Your daughter is dead. 
Why bother the teacher anymore? Talk about a punch to the stomach. It's too late. You don't need Jesus anymore. He could heal the sick. But now that she's dead? Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. And it's at this point that Jesus tells the crowd to stop following them, and he takes Peter, James, and John, and they continue to Jairus' home. And the scene in the home, as you can imagine, is now total chaos. The girl had died. Mourners are crying and wailing, and Jesus goes into the house and, and asks why they're making such a commotion. And then he says, the child's not dead, but asleep. Now remember, Peter was Mark's primary eyewitness. Mark had sat down with Peter and wrote down all of the things that Peter had experienced in the company of Jesus. And this encounter was vividly etched in Peter's mind. So he told Mark a number of things. He said that the people laughed when Jesus said, the child is not dead but asleep. That just stood out to him. You know, Jesus said, The child's not dead, but asleep. And everybody laughs at him. So Jesus throws them all out. Love to have seen how he handled that. Don't need any mockers around. And then Jesus takes Jairus, his wife, takes Peter, James, and John, and they go into the room where the child was. And Jesus touches her. A dead girl. She was defiled by death. And now Jesus, in touching her, would be ceremonially unclean. He himself would have been considered defiled. And all these years later, Peter could still hear Jesus speaking in Aramaic. Talithia come, which means little girl, or in fact, even literally little lamb. I say to you, get up. Take this moment in. Because as soon as he would have finished saying that, I suspect there's total silence. All eyes are looking at this lifeless body on the bed. And then her eyes flutter a little. And then they open up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. (laughs) Do we see, do we catch the magnitude of what just took place? Because in this encounter, Jesus demonstrates his power over death. A dead girl is raised to life. And Mark adds, at this, they were completely astonished, which may be a total understatement. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. They were, in our vernacular, they were blown away, mind-blown, right? It was unbelievable. But they witnessed it. They saw it. They knew that this little girl did not have a pulse. And now she was walking around and Jesus says to them, give her something to eat. Three encounters. Amazing, incredible, dramatic, described for us like no one but Mark can. 
And so let me just make some comments. Four of them, in fact, there might be hundreds. I'll spare you the other 96. But just some observations, some takeaways, some applications. What does this mean for us today? Number one, I want to say this. Jesus encountered people in specific places that were considered scandalous. And so should we. Jesus would intentionally go to places that were considered unclean. I already talked about the region of the Gerasenes on the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. It was Gentile territory. And there, there was a very large pig farm. Jewish people did not eat, yet alone touch pigs. I know Jesus, there's no evidence that Jesus touched the pigs, but, but he was in the midst of this scene. And the point is that he went into territory that was considered scandalous. And then there was the demon-possessed man himself. He was unclean in three ways. He himself was a Gentile. He was demon-possessed. He lived in the tomb, so he's around dead people. He was defiled. And then there's the woman, the woman who touched him. The woman who touched him. In that culture, that would have been the biggest taboo. Jesus would not, should not, as a you know, self-respecting Jew have any contact with a woman, especially one who was bleeding. She was defiled. And then the little girl. Mark makes it very clear that he touched her. He touched a dead person, and therefore he himself would be considered defiled. And in all three of these encounters, Jesus went to places and touched people that were considered unclean. And he did so with love and compassion. And his message was still one of belief and repentance. It was the good news that he went to share. But it wasn't limited to specific places and the right people. It was a message for everyone. For all people. And so we should follow his example. Because the way that we treat the marginalized, the outcasts of society, the people that we associate with, and the places that we go should be a reflection of of what we see Jesus doing here in these three encounters. Comment number two. A genuine encounter with Jesus transforms from death to life. A genuine encounter with Jesus transforms from death to life. Because what we see in all three of these encounters is the power of Jesus to transform lives from death to life. The demon-possessed man was a raging wild man. And after encountering Jesus, he's sitting there in his right mind. He's dressed. And all the people knew exactly what he was like. Past tense. They were the ones that tried to tie him up. They were the ones who made him live among the tombs. And the transformation was so unbelievable. The power of Jesus was on so, such full display that it scared them so much that they pleaded with him to leave. The sick woman, after 12 years of bleeding, she's helpless and hopeless. She's really as good as dead. I mean, she had been told by the doctors, essentially, there's nothing more we can do. And then she encountered Jesus. Without a word, she's healed, and Jesus knows that power had gone out from him. And the little girl dead little girl, raised to life. Three encounters. 
Three demonstrations of the power of Jesus to transform his lives. And he's still doing it today. Because only God can bring about impossible transformation. Sometimes the very people that we think are the farthest from God are the ones that he still is concerned and has love and compassion towards and wants to bring them into relationship with himself. Each of these people the demon-possessed man, the sick woman, the dead child, in some way represent humanity. Because, now hear this, we are all sick and dead. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so sin has separated us from God, and we know it. So, so we do all that we can to kind of bridge this chasm. And we've tried all of the possible remedies. We've gone to every doctor possible, and we've discovered that they don't work. And then we're touched by Jesus, and we go from death to life. Paul writes about this transformation in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, let me just read these verses to you and let them speak for themselves. Listen to this. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay? As for you and me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live, past tense, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Evil influence. All of us also lived among them at one time. And what did we do? We, we gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, deserving of death. But, and I love the word but right here, but because of his great love for us. Do you hear that? But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are God's workmanship. We are his show and tell. Okay? You want to see what transformation looked like? Look, look at what this guy was like before he met Jesus and talk about what he's like now after Jesus or this woman. It's a transformation that takes place. The power of Jesus to do this. Do you realize that you too can be transformed by the power of Jesus? Maybe you're deeply scarred. You have a past you think you're beyond help? And the invitation is just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let us introduce him to you. There's nothing, no one, that is beyond a touch from Jesus. Comment number three, to encounter Jesus, we need to take what little faith we have and exercise it. Now we see this most clearly in the second and third encounters, but it's there in the first one too. The transformed man 
<clears throat> he wanted to go with Jesus. He was filled with gratitude and love and faith. And, and the woman's faith, if you look at it, it was, it was almost a little superstitious. Because she kind of just thought, well, if I could just touch Jesus, if I can just kind of maybe rub, rub him a little bit like a genie, you know? And what did she really want? She wanted health, not necessarily the healer. And although she reached out and touched Jesus, look at the words carefully of what Jesus then said to her. He says to her, your faith, not your touch, it was your faith has healed you. Now, Jairus too, he was probably told to avoid any association with Jesus, but he was desperate enough and the thought that, you know, and he thought that based on everything that he had heard about Jesus, that he might just be the one who was going to be able to heal his daughter. And so he goes out looking for Jesus. He finds the crowd. And in the midst of that crowd, he witnesses the woman being healed. And the little faith that he had, it now grew a little bit. Then he gets the news that his daughter has died. And they say, you don't need Jesus anymore. Don't bother. But Jesus overheard that. And he turns to him and he says, just believe. Just believe. And in bringing Jesus to his house, he demonstrated that he had faith in the power of Jesus for more than just a healing now. He knew he now needed a resurrection. And often, we come to Jesus because we have a problem. We're desperate. And we might come to him for all of the wrong reasons. Or worse, we don't come to him because we think we need to have all this faith stuff figured out. Just exercise the faith that you have. Just take that little step toward Jesus. And if you sense just a stirring of faith in your life, then exercise it, respond to it, use it. And lastly, when we encounter Jesus, we must go and tell others about it. Again, in all three encounters, encounters that were witnessed by Peter and shared with Mark when he was gathering the data for this gospel, faith is exercised and transformation takes place. Do you think any of these three people would ever forget what Jesus had done for them? No way, right? Not a chance. I mean, how could they? They experienced this dramatic, life-transforming encounter with Jesus. And they would tell these stories until the end of their lives. Right? Hey, kids, have I I told you about the time? I do this with my kids. Have I told you this story? They're like, yes, Dad. And then they tell you the story because they've heard it so many times. But I guarantee you that everyone that these three came in contact with, the 12-year-old girl's testimony, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And so Jesus said to the restored man, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy on you. Go and tell them. Go and tell them. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. It's incredible, isn't it? So friends, go, show, and tell. Got it? Go, show, 
and tell. Because a transformed life is the greatest testimony to the power and greatness of Jesus. And if God is speaking to you today, don't put it off. He knows your heart. Ask him to give you faith to believe and then reach out to him. Let's pray. Father, oh man. Oh, how we love your word. Thank you for just Mark and all of the effort that he did, empowered by your spirit, to record the encounters, the days, the teaching, the life of Jesus. And that we can look at it and learn, be inspired. So Lord, we know that you are a great God. Lord, for many of us, we might think that uh, we don't have much of a story to tell. Take us back to Ephesians. Remind us of what we once were. And then remind us of that but now moment. But God demonstrating his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, as we live out our lives as transformed people, we have a story to tell. We have places to go, people to see, and a story to tell. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.